0: Someone observed years ago that it's hard to stay on fire for the Lord when you're getting buckets of water dumped on you constantly. And such was the case of Joseph. We've been in a series on Joseph and his journey into what I call the confusing will of God because sometimes God's will seems very confusing to us. And in Joseph's case, he was being tremendously used to the Lord. He had gone through some really difficult times as we have seen And he was in a place where God was really blessing him. And he was really coming along well. And then all of a sudden, he gets all of this confusing stuff in the form of temptation that gets poured on him. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 39. And the scriptures will, of course, be on the screen for you to follow. Genesis chapter 39. And we will begin with verse 6 of the 39th chapter of Genesis. As you turn there, Joseph as we've seen in recent weeks, begins his journey as a 17-year-old young man in the nation of Israel. He is coming along just wonderfully as a dad who loves him up one side and down the other. He is the youngest of 12 brothers. And dad decides that he's going to make this robe. We call it the robe of many colors. Uh, actually, it was probably not a robe of a lot of colors. The actual Hebrew has the idea of an ornamental robe that would have indicated that he was in management. He wears this around constantly in front of his brothers, which says that dad has appointed me over you. You've got the youngest overseeing 11 other brothers that are older than him. That doesn't go over well with them. It begins to stir up all kinds of jealousy and a bitterness within the family. Joseph is sent by his dad to try to find the brothers and bring up back a report. In other words, he may be snitching on his brothers, and that really puts uh, salt into the womb. And so as he approaches them in Dothan, as they are out taking care of the sheep, the brothers decide, we're going to take Joseph. We're going to beat him up. We're going to throw him into this pit over here. And we're going to talk about seeing what we can do with him, probably kill him. Joseph's down in the pit. He's had the robe stripped off of him. He's yelling for help. He's begging with them for his life. The oldest brother Reuben says, let's not kill him. Let's do something else with him. They happen to see a group of Ishmaelites or Midianites coming down the road. Road there. They sell him to those folks. And now he's a slave. He's headed to Egypt. He gets into Egypt. And he is sold again, this time to Potiphar. Potiphar is one of the leading advisors and administrators for the Pharaoh of Egypt at that time and so we join Joseph in Potiphar's house. God is blessing him he is being regarded by Potiphar with such high regard and such trust that Potiphar says, I will entrust you with everything within my house. In fact, I'm going to be gone a whole lot so you're the guy, the go-to guy no one's higher in this household than you are Joseph and it's in that situation that we join the story Verse 6 of Genesis chapter 39, so he left all he had at his Potiphar in Joseph's charge and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she called him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that she had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her house and said to them, See, he has brought, he's blaming her husband here, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him, put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. In your bulletin, I invite you, if you would, to follow along with me. The confusion of temptation often strikes when you and I are least expecting it. Joseph is there in Potiphar's house, and things are finally seeing him to gain traction and go in a direction that is working in his favor. Potiphar has looked at him and said, Joseph, you are the man, I've been so impressed with your abilities that I'm going to put you in charge of everything in this household, particularly when I'm gone, which apparently he was gone a whole lot, you are the man to oversee everything in this household. And Joseph thought he was starting to rise up. He was knowing the blessing of God in his life, but mark this down, every time you start knowing the blessing of God, the devil's going to show up to try to trip you up. And that is exactly what happens to Joseph here. Satan shows up, and he begins to try to trip him up. Now, the passage of Scripture sh- says to us that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. If you had seen Joseph, he would have had guns and a six-pack. He was a guy that if you looked at him, you'd have said he, you said know, he turned the heads of the ladies when he went by. We probably think at this time he was between 18 and 20 years of age. So he is one good-looking guy who stops the ladies when he walks by. Now, Potiphar's wife, on the other hand, would have been in what we call today, maybe she was the first cougar that we've encountered in the scriptures. And uh, she's there, and uh, she probably would have been middle-aged or so, and her husband Potiphar is an advisor, and uh, he's gone a whole lot. And so she begins to look at this handsome young buck that she's got walking around uh, the house every day. And her husband is gone. And apparently she's also gotten sort of tired and bored in her marriage. And she starts thinking, man, I got this sharp-looking guy here in the house. And uh, my husband's gone for days on end, and I'm tired of being married to him anyway. This looks fun. This looks exciting. And so I'm going to put the hurt on Joseph. Now, she probably thought she was going to be successful as she began to become the temptress to him because he would have thought when he looked at her, at least this would probably have been in her mind, I'm a lady of power, and I'm a lady of money. So if he pleases me, I can make some good stuff happen. For him Now, no doubt, she began to dress the part in an attempt to try to tempt him. Notice verse 7. She begins to put the hurt on him by, she says, lie with me. Now, it's interesting what the author is doing here because she's saying, lie with me. But over and over again, the Scriptures say that the Lord was with Joseph. And folks, what got Joseph through this was he was more aware and in touch of the Lord being with him than the temptation being with him. And when you and I are more cognitive of the Lord being with us than we are the temptation being with us, we are then on the road to victory in facing the temptation. Notice what she says because when she approaches him first and she says, I want you to come lie with me. He refuses her. So what she does is she sort of backs up on the temptation and she says, Well, why don't you do this? Why don't you just come and lie beside me? Now, she knew what she was up to because he would lie beside her and then it would just take the next natural step. That she was hoping it would take, so she says, "Why don't you come and lie beside me?" And Joseph basically said, "I'm not going to lie beside you or lie with you." And it it's not happening anyway because I know if I take the first step, then I'll take the second step and the third step, and I'm right down the slippery slope as to exactly where you want me and where God does not want me to be with. And folks, when Satan begins to tempt us, he will first ask us to lie beside. Wherever he wants to take us. And if we take the first step to lie beside something, it won't be long till we are lying with whatever it is that we are being tempted with. In our culture today, if we start lying beside, in the context of this passage, pornography, that's gonna be the first step towards lying with the act of committing adultery. If we begin to lie beside music lyrics, text messages, or you name it, whatever form it takes. And social media is full of it that has sexual temptation in it. Lie beside it, you won't be long before we are lying with it and it becomes a part of us. Don't lie beside it to begin with. Now notice verse 10. She tempts him day after day after day. She comes to him and she's trying to wear him down. And the power of temptation is often where Satan just comes to us over and over and over again. And when the temptation comes over and over again, we got to get closer and closer and closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Satan's going to try to wear you down, but if you are building yourself up in your walk with the Lord, the power of the temptation is not going to be as strong. Now over in Genesis chapter 38, the preceding chapter, 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 Joseph's mind no doubt went back to what had happened to his older brother Judah. Because Judah had fallen for this temptation, and he had committed adultery, and it had devastating effects on him and on his family. And so Joseph knew that as he thought through this temptation, I don't want to go down the same road that I've seen my brother go down. Now, The word of God brings clarity in the midst of the confusion. Joseph says no to her. And he says, I'm not going to commit, verse 9, this great wickedness and sin against God. Joseph understood the moral will of God. If we don't understand the moral will of God, we're going to allow the culture we're in and the desires of our fleshly nature to shape our morals. Let me say that again. If we don't understand the moral will of God, we're going to allow the culture we're in and the desires of our human nature to shape our morals. The moral will of God is encapsulated in what's called the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. If you and I know And understand God's moral will for us. How we are to conduct our lives. We will then be able to understand the rest of the will of God. But when we don't understand and obey the moral will of God. We are not going to understand the rest of the will of God. You the years that I've been a pastor, I've had folks say, Pastor, I want to know God's will, and I want to live in God's will for my life, but then they want to ignore and disobey what God has revealed in His Word about how to live out our lives just from the basis of the Ten Commandments, His moral will. And if I'm going to ignore what is specifically written out in God's Word and disobey what is written in God's Word, I'm never going to know and understand what the rest of the will of God is. I can't disobey and ignore what I don't like, and then expect God to show me the details of how He wants to use the rest of my life. Now, we refuse temptation when we face it for three reasons. Number one, often we act out of fear. Sometimes we fear the judgment of God, the wrath of God. You know, if I mess up, God is going to get me and punish me. And that's a valid fear to have. Because the Lord is going to say there's a day that we're going to answer to Him. Sometimes we feel the wrath of somebody else. You know, I've often said if I messed around on my wife, uh, I probably wouldn't live very long once she found out about it. So I have a, a fear there. She may look nice and innocent and sweet, but you don't want to get on her bad side. And I know what it would do to get on her bad side. I've joked that when I was growing up, but this isn't too much of a joke, I feared the wrath of my mother more than I did the wrath of God. I, I knew that I would probably survive the wrath of God. I didn't know that I would survive the wrath of my mother if she ever got ticked off with me. But we have that fear when you go down the road and you're breaking the speed limit and uh, you happen to see a uh, state police car up front, you will hit the brake. No one has to tell you to hit the brake. You're automatically going to hit the brake. And why is that? Because you are fearing the wrath of the state trooper if he catches you speeding. The next reason we refuse temptation, which is a higher reason, is character. And Joseph here is acting out of character. He is not living out of immediate gratification. He is living out of the principles for a lifetime. When we live out of immediate gratification, we are going to fall to temptation. This makes me happy, this is what I want, this suits me. When we live out of principles for a lifetime, we are not going to live out of immediate gratification, but rather we're going to live beyond ourselves. I'm going to make decisions not based on what I want and what suits me, but I'm going to make decisions On what is best in the will of God. But it is also best for the people who are around me. And it is best for the rest of my life. Now Joseph had had to learn some hard lessons in humility. When he first got that coat. And he was walking around in front of everybody. He thought he was hot stuff. He had a pride issue going on. But through being beaten up, through being thrown into a pit, through being sold into slavery on two different occasions, he had learned a whole lot of humility. And that humility helped him to successfully get through this temptation. Pride will set you up for every sin. Pride will set you up for every sin. And when God takes us through a hard time that produces humility, it's really a good time. When God takes you through a hard time that produces humility, it is really a good time. Because the humility is what gets us in touch with the Lord and gets us through it successfully. Now notice verse 9, what he says here. She looks at him and she says, I want you to come lie with me. And he looks at her and he says, first of all, how could I commit this great wickedness? The, The Hebrew word that is translated wickedness here has several aspects to it, and I want to move through those. First of all, it means to destroy something. And Joseph is essentially saying, how can I destroy my life? How can I destroy my relationship with God? How can I destroy the people who are around me? The the word also carries the idea of something that becomes a habit, and then it becomes a compulsion. And Joseph's looking at her, and he's saying, listen, Miss Potiphar, If I fall for your temptation, it's going to become a habit. I'm not going to be satisfied to lie with you one day. It's going to lead to two days, three days, five days. Each time it will become easier and easier. And then it's going to become a compulsion. And finally, the root there is the idea of hurting other people. In other words, when he says, how can I do this great wickedness? He says, I'm going to hurt others. I'm going to hurt myself I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to hurt Potiphar. I'm going to hurt God. Sin is never carried away with just it affecting the sinner. Sin always affects other people. Next, he says, I can't sin against God. The word there, against God, is a fascinating Hebrew word. It carries within it the idea of a pathway that God puts you on. And we walk away from that pathway. Now, as a male, I don't like directions. And I don't like following directions. And this past summer on on vacation, we had the GPS going. And I decided for some unknown reason that I was going to ignore the directions of the GPS because I got it in my mind that I knew more than what the GPS knew even though that is technology that is far beyond me I thought I knew more and so I began to take the wrong directions thinking I was going in the right direction and finally someone in the family said you know the GPS is saying this but you're going that direction and I didn't want to admit that I didn't know where I was going so I just kept you know put the pedal to the metal and kept on going and finally I had to concede that yeah I've gotten good and lost I don't know where I at because I ignore the GPS, and the idea of when he says here, how can I sin against God? Is that God gives us a GPS of where He wants to take us in life, His will, His directions, His commandments, and His laws, and we basically turn off His GPS and saying I'm going my own way and I'm going to do my own thing. And He says I can't sin against God. I can't throw away His pathway or His GPS. It's also the idea there of being in a hurry. Sin is always in a rush. i got to do it, and i got to do it now. Always in a rush. And notice what he says. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? The word there for God is the Hebrew word Elohim. It means mighty one, strong one. Joseph is saying here, I'm in a committed relationship with the Lord. I've committed myself to Him. He's committed Himself to me. The name Elohim was used by the ancient Hebrews as the name of God for worship. When they would worship God, they would look at Him and address Him as Elohim. It's made of two Hebrew Ideas put together, El, which means strong, powerful one, and Him, which means majestic. And He was saying, you're the strong, majestic one, and I worship you. Now, we associate worship with what we've done this morning, with singing and praying, and that is worship. But Joseph's no was an act of worship. Joseph's no was an act of worship. And when you and I say no to temptation so that we can be close to Jesus that is an act of worship. Now why was it right for Joseph to say no when everything else around him said say yes? Well first of all Sexual sin outside of marriage disrespects God and is a failure to trust His wisdom. The Lord gave this area of our lives, of physical intimacy, as a unique and exclusive aspect of a one flesh relationship. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 24. And violating this area disrespects God and what He set it up for. Two, respect for others. Violating God's command in this area causes us to start seeing other people as objects for physical gratification, not as human beings created in the image of God. And for believers, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. That's quoting from Genesis 124. in your body. What Paul is saying here to the church at Corinth and to us as believers is that when we trust Jesus as our Savior, Jesus died on the cross and He bought all of us. Not just our souls, not just our spirits. He bought our bodies also. He got the whole package when He died on the cross. All of us. Body, soul, spirit belongs to Him. And therefore Whatever we do with our bodies is to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. It also says that He has placed the Holy Spirit inside of us. And in so doing, our body has become a temple of the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit of God dwells within us. So he says when we take the temple of the Holy Spirit and do stuff with it that doesn't please the Lord... He says we are breaking the commands of God and acting like the Lord really isn't present in our lives. So he's saying when you commit this kind of sin, you're trying to drag the Holy Spirit of God into it and you're also taking a body that Jesus bought with his life and his blood and blowing that off. Now how do we stay out of this temptation? Same way that Joseph did. Our relationship with the Lord has to stay fresh Warm and filled with adventure. Or otherwise sin is going to come across as hot and appealing. If my relationship with Jesus is getting cold and stale, then the temptation is going to be hot and appealing. The greatest way to resist temptation is not to say, I'm going to resist temptation." Let me do an experiment with you. If I tell you right now, do not think about pink elephants, what's in your mind? I just got all of y'all to think about pink elephants, didn't I? When we say, I'm not going to think about temptation, what is the very thing we do? We think about temptation. But if you focus on and think about Jesus and stay focused on Him, that will keep the temptation away. That will cause the temptation to lose its power when you and I focus on Jesus. Now, verse 21. Word gets out. She accuses him of trying to come in and mess with her. And Joseph ends up in prison. We're going to suffer sometimes for obedience in the short run. We're going to suffer sometimes for obedience in the short run. There in prison, God begins to bless Joseph. That was not the place that Joseph would have chosen the blessing of God. He would have much more chosen it up in Israel. Folks, we don't choose where God's going to bless us. God chooses where He's going to bless us. And the next time we, want to, we say to the Lord, Lord, I don't understand why you put me in this place. I was obedient to you. I did what you asked me to do. I resisted the temptation. And instead of getting a blessing, I got thrown in a prison of some type. Instead of getting blessed, I got rejected. I got ridiculed, etc. And we're suffering for obedience. God's got a blessing for you in that place. It's not the place that we would have chosen to be blessed. But it is the place that God has chosen to bless us. Walk with Him in that blessing. Resist the temptation. Walk with Jesus. And you will discover that in that place of walking with Jesus, He will stay true to His commitment. Let's pray. Lord, we want to ask this morning that You would help us to walk with You and stay close with You. And Lord, we want to ask that You would help us. And Lord, we, the temptations are going to come. Lord, we ask that you'd help us to walk so close with Jesus and be so focused on Jesus. Lord, exploring the awesomeness of who He is, knowing you, Lord Jesus, as our strong one, our majestic one, prominent one, the powerful one in our lives, that the power of temptation is just drained right away. Lord, we thank you and we bless you. Their heads bowed and their eyes closed. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, never trusted Him, never walked with Him, I want to ask you and I want to beg with you today to consider giving your life to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I want to ask you for the forgiveness of sin. I want to ask you to come into my life and I want to know you and I want to follow you and I want to serve you. In just a moment as we sing, I want you to Think about that decision, and as we sing, we encourage you to just pray a silent prayer to the Lord and say, Jesus, today I want to follow you, and I want to serve you, and I want to belong to you, Lord Jesus. As we sing, if you're here and you make that decision, we'd love to pray with you about it. If you sense that God's leading you to become part of our church family, we invite you to come you want to come and indicate that you've decided to follow Jesus, we will rejoice with you in that. Lord, in these moments together, may we respond to you in whatever you're saying to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing and come if you will.